Amen. Can anybody guess what course we're in tonight? It rhymes with intro to apologetics. Tom, you're on the ball. I tell you, back there, your lips were maybe moving, but that's right. Intro to apologetics. As we've been seeing, we're dealing with apologetics. We're learning how to apologize to everyone we meet that we're a Christian. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's not what that means. Apologia, to give a defense of. Defense of what? Has anybody noticed that uh, we need to defend our faith because we live in a skeptical society? Uh-huh. We do it. We do it in love and patience, as the scripture says, but we need to get equipped. And so we've already been dealing with a lot of the classic uh, skeptical questions. Does God even exist? Yes, he does. And we can demonstrate that, give a defense for that. Everything has a beginning, which implies a beginner, i.e. God. Everything has design, which implies a designer, i.e. God. Well, what about evolution? That's right, evolution, because it spawns that. Uh, and we dealt with that, took a detour for 42 weeks, went down deep on that. And then back to the argument for the existence of God. Where did everybody get these morals from? If evolution is true, why do we even have right and wrong? Uh, well, that came from a moral lawgiver, i.e. God. Well, what about the Bible? How do we know the Bible is truly different than any other religious book on the planet, as the world would say? And how do we know it came from God, right? And we dealt with that greatly. And then we've been dealing for the last few times is what about suffering? And how many guys, once again, have been asked that question sometime being a Christian, if God is so wonderful and awesome and loving, then why is there evil and suffering? Have you been right? And that's what we've been dealing with. First couple times we dealt with the aspect uh, in uh, chapter 7 with the aspect of suffering that we give an answer. We have a great answer as Christians, okay? And that God's put a limit on it, is going to end on it, there's a way out of it, etc. But the world has no answer, okay? And so you need to flip that around and say, oh, well, I'll give you an answer, okay? And it's a great answer, okay? Replete answer, emotionally satisfying answer, okay? But uh, what's your answer? Okay, but now we've been doing in chapter 8, page 70, for those of you hooked on the correct page, page 70 in your Imagination Killer workbook. Uh, but that's right, except for Ryan. Ryan, how, how, do you, how do you like it? Oh, you got one. I was going to imagine. You ruined my moment. I'm suffering already, and I even got to the topic. But uh, uh, we're dealing with that suffering, okay? And uh, uh, why does God allow suffering? And, and have you ever wondered that as a Christian? Okay, specifically, right? Did you everybody, uh, ever have anybody kind of even give you the inclination uh, when you first got saved that somehow it was always going to be awesome? That's not true, okay? But what's awesome is even though we're going to have hard times just like the rest of the world because heaven comes later, how many of you guys figured that out so far? How many guys are glad that heaven's not like this place? Okay, it's called hope. <laughs> right? All right? And, uh, but we're going to have uh, problems just like everybody else. But there's great reasons that God allows suffering for his children, okay? And that's what we've been seeing. The last one we saw, the first one was suffering is not always evil, okay? Uh, is it bad when you get a, a, you know, a burn on the stove and you feel it? No, that's, praise God for that response, you know, because it kept you from doing that again, okay? Uh, suffering, number two, we saw can develop our character, lead us to maturity. Wouldn't it be all wonderful if somehow we could just wake up one day and we just look like Jesus? doesn't work that way, and God chisels on us and works on us and makes us mature through difficulties. We saw that even number three, the skeptical thing, well, what about death? What about death? There's no good in that. Really? How do you get to heaven? Right? Okay. Wasn't God's original plan, but now getting there, it's there. Or the rapture. How many guys are really secretly hoping for the rapture besides Reed on <laughs> the front row? <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. But hey, even if we were to be the other, guess what? Hey, as a Christian anyway, whoo! Where are we going? We're going to heaven. That's not bad. But then we dealt with the top of the next page, 71. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about the death of a child? How do you explain that one, Christian? And we said, oh, well, hey, first of all, how do you explain? You got no answer. But I'll give you the answer biblically. We saw number God created the child's life, so he has the power to give the child life again, right? And we saw that when the child dies, the age of accountability we saw there, right, that the child goes to heaven. And that number three, God can comfort the family, those who lost a child. Did God lose a loved one? 
Give a son, Jesus, right? So he knows how to comfort. And then the top of the page 72, we saw the Bible promises us that separation caused by death is only temporary for those who are what? Christians. So it becomes a temporary goodbye. And I've used this analogy many times, even in counseling with folks, uh, especially if you're dealing with uh, you know, teenagers or young, young folks and stuff of that nature. Uh, but um, they just got to go to the cool spot before us, right? What's a cool spot for you guys? Disney World, something like that? Yeah, adults, it's usually not. That's like you get, I'll give you a goofy after about three days, right? Except for Mary. Maybe Mary likes her. Okay, so let's roll. Mary and I will bond, right? You ready, Mary? This is our night, so we're going to bond, right? So you got tickets to Disneyland, right? Except uh, something happened in the mail. Yours came first. Ron's didn't show up yet, right? Now, not to say that you'd be excited about going by yourself instead of taking Ron. I don't want to go there, right? But, 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 but you got to go first, right? And so from Ron's perspective, it's like, okay, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. She got to go ahead of me. Okay, never mind. <laughs> okay, just roll with it. I'm trying to get somewhere. But, uh, okay, so she got to go first, right? All right, but I know my ticket's coming, right? And eventually I get to go. It's just temporary, right? Just same thing. Sometimes our loved ones, they get to go to where? To the horrible place? No, the awesome place. It's just their ticket arrived first. But guess what? Your ticket's coming too. And if you're a Christian, you will meet again. That's good news. Number five is where we left off. Although God is not the cause of evil, he has the power to use evil to bring about a greater good. Okay? The power to bring about a greater good. Let's once again take a look at that incredible passage, Romans 8. Romans 8 that talks about that. Turn your Bibles there if you have them tonight. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and uh, hey, Bobby, if you're back there, give it up for Bobby, the servant tonight. Yeah, awesome. If you could maybe back that sound down a little bit, it seems like it's ringing up here a little bit. Do you mind? Romans chapter 8, awesome, thank you. What a servant. Give it up for Bobby round two. You feel better now? What a guy. I tell you what, all you got to do is touch a knob and you feel great. That's right. And uh, making it easier for you. Romans chapter 8, uh, anybody know where I'm going? 828, that's right. You can't, this is awesome, okay? Here's what he says, and we know, right? Now, it's, I don't have a whole lot of time to get into this, but in the Greek there, with we know, the word that's used there, and, and with the Greek uh, uh, verb uh, tensing that's going on there, it literally means, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We know there's no doubt, there's no nothing. I mean, we know this is absolute. If there's one thing in life, we know it's this. That's literally what it's saying. It's not just some passing fleet thing, or I hope maybe someday I could really grasp this, or I hope it, you know, it sticks when I need it. No, it's, uh, this is, man, if, there, if there's something I know, I know this. It's like, hey, look, I know chicken is wrong. I'm not budging on it. I know absolutely, sir, it's wrong. You can't convince me otherwise. Right? That's what he's saying here. And we know, okay, that in how many things? How many is all? Everything. You sure it's not just the good things? How about the things that we like? How about the things that we enjoy? What's all? This is one of the most powerful verses in the scripture outside to me of certainly the gospel. How do you get to heaven? Uh, number two, eternal security, right? But this baby, it's like, man, right? Right? And sometimes, many times in, in counseling, I'll share with this, right? About God's sovereignty and he not just has a plan, he has a good plan. I didn't say he did. You know, and then sometimes people look at you like, oh, you're not going to quote that again. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? This is one of the most awesome verses ever. It's a promise from God. Don't you know, or is that the problem? You don't trust God. And you don't trust God, you waffle. But what he said, I didn't say it. He did it. We're just, this is from him. All things. We know, no doubting, that what? God works for the good. And here's, here's the deal. For everybody on the whole planet? 
No, what's, what's the deal? For those who love him, you love him, right? And he's, who've been called according to his purpose, okay? So just stop right there, okay? Do you love Jesus? You're born again Christian? You're called to his purpose? Guess what? Good news. You know what? There's not one thing that you're going to go through in life ever that doesn't have a good purpose. Isn't that awesome? I didn't say God did, right? Yay, thank you, Brian. Thank you. That's right. You get to the first to gum tonight. That's right there. I'm loaded, ready for bear. All right, anyway, put me to the test. No, but anyway, uh, yeah, so that's good news, okay? And it's the great analogy. I, uh, I remember the first time I heard it, I go, man, that's awesome. That's, that's a good way to put it. But it's something like this. If somebody were to come up to you and say, hey, listen, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your day. I'm going to do something wonderful for you, okay? Uh, I, um, um, Brian, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to give you two cups of flour, and uh, just go ahead and swallow them real quick right where you're at. How about that? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be? Yeah, give it up from Ryan. Yeah, awesome. Woo! I, I tell, okay, they're a little bit dry. I give you that, okay? How about, you know, a quarter cup of vegetable oil? Just suck that baby down. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, man, that's good. It makes like a tasty paste, right? Well, not too bad. That's a, well, and, no, I'll tell you what. Okay, yeah, so it's kind of just bleh. How about, you know, like a quarter cup of sugar? Just granulated sugar. Just put that baby down. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, that's our... Oh, that's getting a little too sweet. How about, you know, a big old fat teaspoon of baking soda? You know that stuff that foam up in your mouth? It looks like you got rabies. You can freak your friends out. It's cheap entertainment on a Saturday. Now, if I were to say that, would you, what would you say? Oh, that's not good. You know, there's many restaurants around here that are anti-chicken we could go to. That would be good. But I'm not in what? But if you add in a couple other ingredients and you throw in like some embryonic evil eggs or something like that, and you start stirring it together, you end up with hopefully something close to pancakes. I'm not sure how you make them, but I picked on the ingredients, right? Now, pancakes are good, right? Anybody ever put peanut butter on your pancakes when they're still hot? Then you put your syrup on Oh, man, that's good stuff. And I'm sorry, I'm now going to suffer because for the rest of this study, I broke a preacher's rule. They said, don't you ever use food analogies when you're preaching because they're going to think about it. Please pray for me. <laughs> that's what I'm sorry. All right. But pancakes, that's good stuff, right? Woo! But see, what's the problem? See, we only look at the baking soda of life, right? We only look at those two cups of flour and we go, man, this doesn't make sense. It tastes horrible. But over time, together, because that implies time, God says, no, I'm stirring together. Would you trust me? I just said, I'm making you some pancakes. All is good. And that's what he's saying there. Okay, this is, this is good news. One of my favorite analogies of this is uh, Corrie Tin Boom. And what she did, she showed a piece of embroidery to her audiences. How many guys, how many ladies are in the, the quilting thing? Right? Praise God. Okay, a couple of you here. And uh, so, you know, kind of quilting and the underwork side and the, what you're trying to accomplish on the top there uh, for everybody to see. But that's what she says. So she would show a piece of embroidery to her audiences, and she would hold up the piece of the cloth, but she'd first show the beauty of the embroidered side, you know, what it's supposed to look like. You know, beautiful scenery or whatever, cows skipping through a field or something cool like that, right? And uh, uh, then uh, uh, what she'd do is she'd say, well, this is God's plan for our lives. It, it's something wonderful. He's embroidering a beautiful masterpiece, a beautiful picture, right? Okay, but then she would flip it over, and she'd show them the backside the tangled, confused underside, illustrating how we view our lives from the human standpoint, right? But it's the eyes of faith going like, okay, I don't see where this thing, this stitch goes with this, and this looks like a tangled knot right here with this color, and I don't even see how, the, how does that color go with what? It's just a blob of mess of blah, blah. 
It's through the eyes of faith and standing on God's word that we say, no. You flip it around in faith and say, hey, I may not see it now, but I know this is the underside, this side of heaven. Maybe in heaven I'll see the masterpiece that God was doing, right? Isn't that a great visual? Okay, and that's what he's talking about there. And I shared a couple of them before, but I want to share with you a couple of how many times we have to learn this lesson. All means all. God knows what he's doing. Okay, it may not make sense now, but he's stirring something good together. And it's when he's still stirring it and you don't get it and you're only focused on one ingredient and then all of a sudden he throws in another ingredient which still doesn't make sense. You just trust him. He knows what he's doing. It's called his sovereignty coupled with his goodness and his character, okay? Let me share you uh, two of my favorite uh, examples of that, real stories. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. How many guys heard of him? Right there. How many guys ever saw him? Praise God, nobody. Ah, dude, you messed it up. I, pray for JJ. But anyway, that's, but anyway so uh, Abraham Lincoln, right? Okay, true story. He and his partner, this is way long before he went into politics, let alone became the president of the United States, okay? But he was in business, and he had his partner in this, like, I think a general store or whatever. And unfortunately, they were going bankrupt. And back then, he had this desire for quite some time. He wanted to study law, but he was too poor to buy one of the books that he needed for law at that time, how lawyers were trained in our country. And that was that, we talked about this a while back, Blackstone's Commentary. Remember that, baby? We talked a little bit about that. And that is how our legal system used to be based. And if you look at it, it's just Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible. That's how it's all uh, the justice in our country was based on. So anyway, but he needed that. He didn't have the cash for it, okay? But just then, a strange-looking wagon came up the road, and when it got to Lincoln, the driver said this, I'm moving, I'm trying to move my family out west, and I'm out of money. I got a good barrel here that I could sell for 50 cents. And even though Lincoln didn't have the money to spare, he looked at the man's wife, whose face was thin and emaciated. They hadn't eaten for a while. He took his last 50 cents, and, and he's going bankrupt. And he told the guy, he says, well, I reckon I could use a good barrel. So all day long, the barrel sat there on the front porch of their store there, and his partner kept mocking him, telling him, what a, what a fool. You're so foolish and all that. It's bad enough, right? So he's suffering, right? But later that evening, Lincoln saw something in the bottom of the barrel under a pile of papers, and when he reached in to pull it out, he discovered it was a book. And can anybody guess what that book was? Blackstone's Commentary. And that's what got him going. And eventually, wow, isn't that amazing? A little suffering doesn't make sense, people making fun of you, but lo and behold, God tells you to do something. You ever do something that you felt God really called you to do, but it wasn't popular? You ever have so-called Christian friends or even Christian family members uh, mock your decision that you really felt this is what God would have me to do? Yeah, right? But guess what? God stirs it all together for good. He knows what he's doing. One more example, and we'll move on. One day in 1875, Ira Sankey. How many guys are glad your name is not Ira? Or Sankey, Sankey, uh, either one. Right? He got both of them. He's suffering already when he was born. Uh, anyway, he was the song leader for Dwight Moody. You guys remember him? Great evangelist, right? Dwight Moody. So this was his song leader, right? He was traveling on a steamboat when somebody just happened to ask him to sing a hymn. So you're thinking it's a random occurrence, no rhyme or reason. They just happened to say, could you sing this specific hymn? So, uh, uh, or actually they gave the choice to him. So he just happened to randomly pick one out. Okay, and he sang it. And when he did, a man stepped out of the shadows and asked him if he served in the Union Army doing guard duty in 1862 specifically. And when Ira said yes, the man continued. He said, well, so did I. But I was serving in the Confederate Army. And when I saw you standing at your post, I raised my gun to kill you. But at that instant, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing the song you just sang now. He said, as you did... 
I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother because that was the exact same song she used to sing to me. Think of that baby coming together, that tapestry. And he said this, and it was because of that, I couldn't pull the trigger, I couldn't kill you. And then later they even meet up in life and he tells them the story. What the what? How many events do you think in life that we've gone through that we don't get that moment where it gets explained to us? But can we not through the eyes of faith going, no, God knows exactly what he's doing. I may not have the guy coming up to me explaining it now, why I went through that or that or that or this or all those and that and that. But God works all things together for good. That's good stuff, okay? So that's what he's talking about there. The ultimate example, he says, uh, uh, two of them he gives them here. One is uh, Joseph, right? Did Joseph have a great family relations? No, Pastor, really? That's right, read, you biblical scholar on the front row, you. No, he did not, unfortunately. And uh, that's the question. How would the nation of Israel survive the famine if Joseph had not been sold into slavery by his brothers and if he had not been imprisoned justly, right? Remember all the things he went through? I mean, he had a vision from God. God called him to do something great. Right? And it wasn't popular, right? So they chucked him in the well. His own family chucked him into a well, right, to die. Then one guy got the guilty going, the oldest brother believed, and then, then they say, oh, okay, well, let's just sell him into slavery. They let's just sold him into slavery. Then they lied to his dad. So, oh, no, the animal's gone. Here's his you know, coat and blood and all that stuff. And he goes into Egypt, and then what happens, right? I mean, so he loses his whole family, right? And, and everybody thinks he's dead back at home. And so, uh, except his brothers know better. But anyway, so then he goes into Egypt, right? And they finally things start looking up for him, and what happens? He gets accused of rape, right? And so then what happens? Then he goes to jail. And so then things start to go, and they entrust him there in jail. And, and then a couple of guys, he gives the guy, gives him a word, and he says, and sure enough, it came to pass. He says, hey, you got out, and make, you know, tell, put in a good word for me. Oh, absolutely. He left him there to rot, right? And so then finally he gets out, and then finally, of course, with the famine, and of course, and God works it out, and here comes the heyday, right? Sometimes you got to wait for the heyday. Okay, but God knows what he's doing all along the way. He hasn't forgotten you right? To rot. He works all things together for good. And so what happens? So he gets gets to the second highest power, right? But now here comes his family. There's a famine in the land. So all that, not only did, I'm sure, Joseph have all his lessons to learn through all that, and it was all good. But it was even beyond him, it was even beyond his whole family. It was for the whole people there to be taken care of in God's mercy in a time of famine. Sometimes our problems are way bigger than us. And they're meant to get us into a place that's much bigger than just me. Why? Right? Okay, but his family comes up, and what's he, what do they say? He had a little fun with them. Remember the story? <laughs> really? Come here. Sweat bullets. And he went through all that stuff. But anyway, so, right? And he makes his amazing statement. You would think after that, right, there'd be a little bit of bitterness. There would be, like, some hard feelings. Or he would throw his family in jail. Let me let you rot there for a while. So forget it. I'm not going to help you out. Right? I'll help out everybody else, but not you guys after what you write. None of that stuff. What did he say? How did he deal with it? He trusted in the sovereignty and goodness of God. And what's his amazing statement that still comforts us today? He says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for what? Good. Now, he's not the author of that, but God allowed it for a good purpose, right? To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Right? And then, of course, the ultimate example of how God used evil and suffering for greater good is the cross. Because right? you know, finally, Satan is thinking that, man, he finally got it done. Right? But the cross became his greatest undoing. Right? God's ultimate nanny nanny boo boo in Jesus' name. Right? 
Because you look at Genesis 3.15, right? You got uh, Satan tricked Adam and Eve, right? This is why we have an accursed creation. This is why there is evil. This is why there is suffering. This is why there's death. This is not God's original design. Good news is, again, he's going to renovate it. It's going to be good one day, okay? But that's why it is, because Satan, right? But what's God do immediately after the fall? Genesis 3.15, tell you what, I'm going to fix it. You blew it, you rebelled against me, and you're responsible for that, each one of you. Adam, Eve, and Satan, they all get your judgment, right? Okay, but guess what? I'm going to fix it. Genesis 3.15, one day the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, is going to crush the head of the serpent, Satan, right? Satan's there. He knows that, right? God made that promise out of mercy right after the fall, so if you look, if you don't understand that, it, then you, you don't understand what's going on with the Old Testament, okay, by and large, because the rest of the Old Testament is Satan trying to outdo Genesis 3.15, and he can't, right? He knows that one day somebody is going to be born who's going to crush his head, right? So what's he do? You read throughout the New Testament. Immediately he goes in and he starts uh, creating and generating wickedness and all kinds of messed up stuff with Genesis chapter 6, Noah's society, okay? And he almost got it accomplished, right? So what'd God do? He sent a flood and he did a restart button down to eight people. He almost did it. But God says, nope, I'm taking the whole planet out except for eight people and the animals that I wanted on the ark. I'm going to start all over, right? So then the humanity starts off again, the whatever, and then so he gets in the rebel against God with the Tower of Babel. And what's God do? confuses them, spreads them out all over the land, right? So he didn't make it there, right? So then, of course, then eventually you have Abraham. Uh, Abraham at that time, come, go over, to, called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, up over the Fertile Crescent there, Mesopotamia, comes down, and God makes a promise. For, I'm going to make you a, a, a man of uh, great honor, more kids than you can even dream. And you, that, you got the whole stuff. Out of him, basically, would come the Jewish people, right? Now, what's the importance of that? Remember, what, what's the promise in Genesis 3.15? One day, somebody's going to come, and he's going to be born, and he's going to crush your head. So immediately, from that point forward, what do you see Satan trying to do? Tries to annihilate the Jewish people, right? Because if he can annihilate the Jewish people, then there is no Messiah. There's nobody to come to crush his head, right? You even see that with, in, with uh, uh, Haman, right? When he tries to get rid of uh, uh, in Esther there, with trying to get rid of the Jewish people, right? And if you read that account, what did God do? The very uh, gallows that he was going to hang uh, the other folks on, he ended up getting hung on himself, right? And that's, that'll preach in itself, right? Let God dish out the spankings. Sometimes people want to set you up, but oftentimes God will, the very things they're trying to do, he always has the last word. Okay, but, uh, but anyway, he didn't move on after that. What did he do? Then he continued to try to pollute. When Israel finally got in there, God brought him out, and, and from Egypt into the land, God says, don't intermingle with these people. I need you pure, right? And so what did Satan immediately do? Tried to infiltrate and get them, and sure enough, unfortunately, it worked. They got idolatry and false religion teaching, so God warned them. He sent all the prophets, right, and going back and forth and back and forth, and finally, 10 tribes said, I've had enough of you guys, Israel, right? There was a division, tried to split them up, and it did. Uh, got them out there, so they got uh, taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Then you had the final two, uh, Judah and, and Benjamin, right, uh, and Jerusalem there, and finally, sure enough, they, they continued to go the same route too, and so finally, they went into captivity with Babylonians, right? But once again, God's not done. Genesis 3.15, where's this Messiah? Who's the guy? Right? So Satan's always trying to mess it up. Right? And so eventually the remnant comes back and they start their deal again and they once again go back into idolatry and God says, fine, that's it. That's where you have Malachi. I'm not going to say nothing. So you're going to hear nothing until you hear it's it. The one who's going to make a way in the wilderness. Right? for the Messiah to come. And of course, that's John the Baptist. And that's where we pick up about a 400 years of silence into the Gospels, into the New Testament, right? And eventually, uh, Jesus comes. So what does he do? What's Satan trying to do? Stir up trouble for Jesus, right? 
and ultimately to get rid of them, right? Because this is the guy. Even the demons, when Jesus walked around, the demons knew who this was. This is Genesis 3.15. This is the guy after all these centuries. Oh, no. We know who you are, Jesus, and son of God. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They knew who he was. And so Satan finally orchestrates the whole thing and gets them all stirred up. And the Roman people and the Jewish, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, and they come against them and they kill them. Do you think there's a little glee? Ha, 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 evil glee. They must have thought. But guess what? Bang! Became his greatest undoing. You can't outsmart God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's all part of his plan, right? So that, that worked together for good, right? God knows what he's doing. Even though it may not make sense now, you trust him. When he says all, guess what that means? All. When you trust him, when you take him at his word, that's when you experience the benefit of that, right? Okay, let's continue on. So suffering also, number six says, uh, helps us to realize that we need God. As we saw before, anybody ever get a little spiritually lazy as a Christian? You know, you start backsliding a little bit, kind of goofing off a little bit, besides Bobby back there. Hi, Bobby. But, uh, right, and uh, so guess what God does? He leaves you on the wide road that leads to destruction because he can't stand you. Too bad. No, what's he do? He spanks you. And sometimes the spankings involve what? No, you may not acknowledge it now, but I'm telling you, where you're going is not good. <laughs> you might think it's fun right now. No, no. And he'll use circumstances. He'll use things. He'll use pain to get you back on the straight and narrow, which leads to life. Is that bad? Now, that's for us as a Christian, but how many guys ever got saved? You were a non-Christian, okay, but you got saved because you went through hard times. Is that bad? Nobody, nobody wishes that on anybody, but was it bad? No, hey, if that's what it took to lead you to Jesus, woo Right? Let's continue on. So what he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Hey, that's a whole other issue. Have you ever done that? I mean, you know, oh God, I wish I had like a, a, a David-like faith to take on Goliath, you know, and, or God, I wish I had faith to move mountains or faith like a mustard seed and do all this, you know, we want to have big faith in God. Well, how do you think that's going to happen? Right? You need faith all the time. So we walk by faith. We live by faith, the scripture says, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. The just will live by faith. So there's that issue. But certainly, guess when you really need to exercise faith? It's when things are going great. No, it's when things are not going great right? It's in hard times. It's in suffering. And as Paul says here, I love this. He says, this might happen that we might not what? Rely on our, not ourselves, but on God. Have you ever been at that point where it's like, there's nothing left? And God, unless you intervene, nothing's going to happen. I can't, I've tried everything I can, and maybe that's what God wants you to get to. To get to that point where you're fine. Are you done yet? Are you exhausted yet? You done? You're going you're gonna to trust me? You're going to rely on me now? Right? Oh, by the way, you think it's impossible? I can raise the dead. With God, all things are possible, right? With us, yeah, it's impossible, right? Is God's arm too short, the scripture says? No, right? He doesn't know what he's doing. Does he have, is, is anything too difficult for God? No, right? And that's what he says, so we might rely on it. But suffering can cause us to repent. Let's all rejoice. We just made it to a blank. Our first blank tonight, Yeah. Okay, I was excited. Uh, repent is your blank there, for those of you who have the workbook. Uh, and bring us closer to God. 
is your next blank there, closer to God. And that is the best thing that can happen in life. Can anybody say amen? Absolutely. And I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, right? He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to raise a deaf world. Have you noticed that? Scripture says that God's kindness leads you to repentance. That's, that's not what we would hope, right? And God whispers to us in our pleasures. Hey, I love you. Taking care of you. Making sure that you got, you know, I'm living up to my end of the deal. You just seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, Matthew 6. All these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, right? How many, guys, how many guys ate some food today, right? right? How many guys got clothes on? <laughs> right, praise God. Okay, right. How many guys got a place to sleep? Life is good. Woo, yeah, God's taking care of us. But see, that's not enough, is it? We'll talk about this the next couple Sundays. Get a peace killer short-circuit God's peace. We just have to have more, don't we? Just not good enough just to have your food, clothes, and shelter, right? Remember, this is the temporary spot. We're headed to heaven where the pavement's made of gold, right? Why are we doing it here, trying anyway? Right? But anyway, so, so, so it's, it's good. So he whispers to us in our, in our pleasures. Let's not take care of you, right? You guys are doing okay. You're not starving to death. You got clothes. What are you whining about? I, I, I'm here. I love you. See, we don't respond to that, right? Why, why would you want to go that route? Why would, you, why would you sin? Why would you take that bad road? Listen, I'm taking care of you. Why? why? But see, we don't respond to that typically. So then he speaks to our conscience, right? Is what he says there. Hey, come on. Stop that. Don't do that. Come on. You know better. No, don't do that. Or you're reading the Bible. <clears throat> Verse gets you, Right? Or you're sitting in that sermon, doing the squirm dance, right? Then you hurry up and get out of here and hopefully forget about it, right? So, so he tries to correct, and no, no, he gets a little bit more direct, right? But then what? You guys are headed down a bad road. I'm taking care of you. You'd think my kindness and you would, wouldn't stray. And, and then I'm telling you, I'm poke, poking and getting a little more from. No, 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 don't do it there. Don't do that. But you're not listening. So guess what? Hey! Turn around. And that's pain. He'll use a painful circumstance. He, what's he say? Shouts in our pain. Because he's, he's mean. He's just really, no he's not. Sometimes you have to, to get somebody's attention. If they're about to fall over Hoover Dam, when you're looking over there and they're goofing off, you don't say, excuse me, pardon me. Pardon the interruption, but if he would be ever so kind to get down from there, what do you do? Get him! Right? right? Anybody does that. And when they're in danger, cars come your way, pardon me. Here, let me send you a text message that's non-threatening. No? Yeah! So God gets our attention, right? Because he loves us, because he sees what we refuse to see. And he'll allow those challenges, right? And so he says, it's a what? It's a megaphone. Hey! To rouse the deaf world. Now, that's for us. I'm kind of rolling with that for us as Christians, but that's what he also does to the non-Christian. He used a megaphone on me, man. Oh, did he ever. Never would wish that on anybody. And all the immorality and the darkness and the depravity, the things that I was involved in, the demonic things, and just, oh, oh, I hated it. 
But hey, if that's what it took to, if you will, crack my kneecaps to finally bend and look up, so be it. True story, this uh, Sharon asked, I think I have shared this before, AST, and uh, this is how she came to Christ. Listen to this. Uh, With a gun in one hand and the Bible in the other, Sharon uh, knelt beside her bed and was about to take her own life. And it wasn't the first time her fate was about to be decided at gunpoint. Growing up, her alcoholic father would often hold a shotgun on Sharon and her brothers as he decided whether or not they would be better off dead. The only difference this afternoon was that Sharon's finger was on the trigger, not his. So what would drive this mother of four children now to conclude that her life was so hopeless that she'd have no better option than to throw it all away? Well, take a brief glimpse into her past, and you might say that her entire life of suffering was leading up to this moment, persuading her to just pull the trigger. The real question is, what had allowed her to survive for so long? To say Sharon grew up in a dysfunctional home would probably win you the prize, the understatement of the year. Describing herself as a child of rage, Sharon and her two brothers were raised by also a mentally challenged, drug-addicted mother, along with a violent, alcoholic father. Besides periodically holding a gun on his children, Sharon's father would also beat them regularly. Sharon often received the brunt of the punishment as she tried to protect her younger brothers, and she said, quote, he beat me into the concrete every night. Her mother was no better when Sharon and her brothers were young. She tied them to chairs with belts when they ate and beat them if they dropped any food. She would also lock Sharon in a wooden closet for days, making her share the small space with rats and spiders. And when Sharon was six, her mother forced her to hold and kiss a neighbor's dead baby because she was alarmed Sharon hadn't cried when she heard the news about the baby's death. This man. Several years later, Sharon's father changed her birth certificate to make her look older, and he sent her off to the Marine Corps. For the next two years, she actually felt safer than she had at home, but by then she had become an angry, bitter young woman. Eventually, she married a guy named Skip, and it seemed like she was finally on the verge of starting a new life. But even this quickly turned into a nightmare. Seeing that her new husband drank just like her father, she went ballistic, turning loose on everyone. Quotes, she said, our home became a place no one visited just like when I was young. So she's repeating the cycle. And so one day after putting her house in order and sending the kids next door, Sharon pulled out a gun, loaded it, and went to her bathroom. Knowing enough about Christianity to realize that God wouldn't be happy about her decision, she dug out a Bible that someone had given her while she was in the Marines. And she turned up the radio really loud so that the kids wouldn't hear the gunshot. Then she got on her knees, opened the Bible, and began to read and she also started talking to God and said, you know, I, you know, God, how tired I am and how old I feel. And while Sharon was having this conversation, her mind suddenly tuned into the radio that she had turned on in the kitchen. Just random, nothing. Somebody was preaching. Just so happened. Right at that moment. And as she listened, she heard him invite listeners to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, Sharon heard God's voice in her mind. Quote, what came to me was this, she said. I have sent my son, and he will love you far more than anyone could ever love you. He will teach you how to live your life right. I told God, she said, I don't know anything about his son, but God kept coming back and saying, give your life to my son. She said this argument went on for a while, but eventually Sharon put the gun down, lay on the floor, weeping and suffering, sobbing, and offered her life to God. She said, I didn't understand what I had done. I just understood that I was home for the first time in my life. And when Sharon got up, she was calm for the first time in six months. 
But that wasn't the only thing that was different from that point forward. She was never without her Bible. For three years, she studied it intensely. She was so amazed that Jesus loved her enough to die for her. Feeling her own healing was uh, complete, Sharon started helping other women who were also in crisis. She understood what they were going through, and she could get through to them. This ministry quickly grew until Sharon was helping many women. Today, Sharon is fully recovered and continuing in her ministry that she's called Tea and Comfort. And she has other women or comforters, and uh, they work together specifically with hurting women in a nurturing way, giving them uh, leadership and encouragement, watching for signs of suicide, pointing them to Jesus. Just like what she had went through. And so over the 15 years at the time of this writing, Tea and Comfort, the ministry, had existed. They had worked with over 1,500 men or women, and many of them being healed now, other pastors like her. Although Sharon wouldn't wish her past on anyone, she was thankful she didn't suffer in vain. Quote, no matter what we've been through, God does expect us to use our experiences for the benefit of others. Wouldn't wish that on anybody. But hey, if it takes to get in that point, before you accept Jesus Christ, your Savior, that's pretty good news. Amen? Which leads us into the next page where she left off. Number seven. Number seven. Your suffering can help you understand the suffering of others. Your suffering can help you understand the suffering of others. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, and that's just where it stays. No, I guess mileage out of it, right? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, did Jesus suffer and we're followers of Jesus? Think we're going to suffer? especially if you live for Jesus in this anti-Jesus world, amen? You're going against the grain. So also through Christ, our comfort overflows. And that's what she was saying. Guess she went through that. It was horrible. Who would like to get to that point where you're literally got a gun to your head, almost committing suicide? But guess what she has a heart for? And she, God had her do a ministry specifically for those people. What'd she say? And I can get through to them. Why? Because you're not looking on the outside. You can say, you know what? Been there, done that. Wish I wouldn't have bought the t-shirt. But let me tell you the good news. There's hope through Jesus Christ. Anybody ever go through a hard time? Rest of your line, you're going to get spanked later. It'll be a hard time coming. All right, God's faithful. But uh, no, yeah. Anybody watched how God used that hard time you went through? Might have been a day later. Might have been later that afternoon. Might have been 10 years later. And God brings that specific person by and you go, oh, I went through that, right? I, 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 used, to, <clears throat> I used to do drugs and, you know, yeah, unfortunately, I dabbled in the occult. and Yeah, I, I've had broken relationships. Yeah, I've had difficulties here. Yeah, been, and then God uses your difficulty, and he recycles it for somebody else's good. Is that bad? No. To me, that's awesome. That's like a healing balm. I mean, it's bad enough that we go through trials, but we add salt on the wound when we say there's no rhyme or reason to it. And God says, no, I work them all together for good. And then it's almost like redemption day, Right? I mean, it was enough that you made it through and God brought you through like he always does. But then one day, he'll use it as a ministry to somebody else. That's awesome, right? And so that's another reason there. Number eight, suffering can allow the communication, here's your blank there, the communication of God's word where it would not be otherwise possible. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort or salvation. You ever go through a hard time and it puts you in a place where you weren't expecting it to be, but there just happened to be that person there? And God says, wouldn't have shown. <laughs> you would do that. Why did I get that flat tire? Well, you ended up at that tire shop. Guess what? 
witness to him. <laughs> right? How many times do we go through this stuff like that? Right? You go through hard times, he'll lead you, whatever. Right? Right? You do that one thing, you, you eat chicken, you get in the hospital, and there's that nurse, witness to her. Right? How many times have you been through that one? Right? Okay. But on and on it goes, right? Can you trust him that he knows what he's doing, right? So, so that, is that bad? No. You wouldn't have been there otherwise. You never would have met that person in your whole existence. But because you went through that hard time, you ended up in that place at that right time with that person. That's not bad. Another one, he says this, number nine, sometimes it takes suffering to bring about the salvation of someone else. And not just your own, but the salvation of somebody else. Again, the ultimate example of this is Jesus. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. For not just you, but you'll go through some hard times so that some, somebody, not you just get to witness to him, but praise God they get saved. One of my favorite stories is uh, George Mueller. Remember a few weeks back when we were talking about him in our Life Worth Living For study, right? And they got the amazing faith, and he prayed that the fog would go and it went. And then the, the orphanage, remember the orphanage story? And they had no food, and he never asked anybody for money ever, never. And food would just always come. They never went hungry, hundreds of kids and all that stuff. Okay, this is that guy. And this guy had a list, and he prayed for all his unsaved friends and family. And uh, I think as the story goes, they all got saved, by and large, during his lifetime. What a prayer warrior. Okay, except for two. There was two guys that didn't get saved. George Mueller died without ever seeing those two guys get saved. Guess what happened at his funeral? They got saved. Isn't that cool? Right? So sometimes you got to go through suffering for somebody else's benefit. One of the good examples, and I'll share this, and we'll probably close for tonight because i got a lot more other ones to go, is Jim Elliott. You guys remember him? Famous missionary? He's famous because of what happened. Right. Let me just share with you the story. Jim Elliott was a boy, because if you don't know his background, maybe you just saw that movie, Sword and Spear, right? You don't know his background. He was a boy who loved Jesus, and one day a friend of his parents asked him if he was going to be a preacher when he grew up. And Jim replied, I don't know, but I would like to tell someone about Jesus, quote, that never heard of him before, specifically. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, when Jim grew up, he and his wife, Betty, were missionaries to the Indians in South America. They met a, a missionary in Ecuador who told them about the needs of the Indians in that country. And uh, there were several tribes of Indians living in the jungle. Some of them were taught by the missionaries already. Others had never heard of Jesus. And one of those tribes was a wild and savage people called the Alcas. The Alcas were great hunters in the jungle. They hunted wild pigs, monkeys, uh, jaguars, uh, spears, bows, and arrows. The Alca Indians always went barefoot, and they could even recognize another person's footprint like we recognize the faces of our friends. That's kind of cool. Who's that? Oh, that's Debbie. <laughs> All right. That's cool. That's right. We were, right? We were there in Hawaii on the beach. It was like, I didn't want to say nothing. That's cool. And that tattoo that says your name on there, Debbie, it kind of helped me out. But no, seriously. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> but anyway that's, that's the, these folks. But the Algas didn't know about Jesus. Right? Their lives were dark and sad and full of fear, and they had many cruel customs. Listen to this. If they saw, how would you like to witness to these guys? If they saw anyone in the jungle who was not of their tribe, they would sneak up and kill them. <laughs> with their spear. They also speared each other, killing their own friends and relatives during the slightest quarrel. What? Give me back that olive. <laughs> this is their life. When another man killed another man, the family of the dead man would then go hunt that guy and kill him with a spear. Often, listen to this, parents killed their own children just because they were tired to take care of them. <laughs> yeah, let's go witness these guys. Right? This is how they lived. 
Okay, everybody in this tribe was always afraid of suddenly being killed. That's how they lived. They didn't know anything about Jesus. So Jim and Betty Elliot and their friends, they felt sorry for the Alka Indians, and they wanted to help them learn about Jesus so they could be set free from this darkness and fear. But how in the world could they get into their village without being killed? Well, the missionaries decided to try flying their plane, okay, over the Alka village and dropping gifts to the Indians. And they would hope that in this way, they could demonstrate that they were friendly, right? And so they would put uh, presents in a bucket and at the end of a long fishing line <clears throat> and lower it down at the open door of the plane. And the first time they flew over, uh, Nate and Jim flew over the Alka village and people were frightened and hid inside their homes because here comes this monster oh, in the sky, right? And uh, a, a brisk wind buffeted the small plane, but they held it steady uh, over the group of the thatch houses and, and he, he reeled out the line and uh, they, they set the, the kettle full of all kinds of stuff that they put in there on top of one of the biggest house. And, and the next time, Jim and his friends uh, brought the gifts to another house. So they, did, they made it through that one, even though everybody was kind of freaking out and running away. And they did it to another house because they didn't want it to do the same one, so it would cause jealousy. So they were trying to you know, spread it out. Right? <clears throat> and at this time, though, when the Indians heard the plane coming over, they ran out of their houses. Uh, they watched excitedly as the gift was lowered from the plane, and, uh, and they, they got that. And, uh, and so they found it. They stood around. They were looking happy and all that stuff. And Jim uh, saw a sight that thrilled him, an old man waving his arms as if to say, come on down. And he turned to play, and, and he just prayed to God. He says, Lord, please send me to the Alcas. Right? A week after that, every week after that, the missionaries made another flight, dropped the gifts to the Alca Indians. They gave them shirts, knives, plastic cups, candy, flashlight. Uh, they began to fly lower and lower above the village and would lean out the door and shout to the Indians, we are your friends, we would like to visit you. And on the sixth flight, after the Alcas had taken the gift bucket, they held on the Alcas, they held on to the lion for a few minutes. <clears throat> and when they let it go, it, it came up with a present for the missionaries. And they had a, a, a headband woven with feathers. And the next time they sent a basket back up the line, and then this time there was a, a beautiful parrot, uh, there was a banana, uh, and uh, things of that nature. So Jim and his friends praised the Lord, and it seems like finally the Alcas were becoming friendly. So about two months over flying over the village with the gifts, they're doing this whole routine, they decided it was time to land. And they landed on a beach uh, on the opposite side of the river, close to where the Alcas lived, and they would build themselves a treehouse to live in and try to talk to the Indians. So on Sunday, this Sunday, Nate called his wife on the radio to say that a big group of Alca men were coming just in time for church services. He said excitedly. This is the big day, he said to her, his wife on the phone. I'll call you this afternoon and let you know what happens. So the missionaries' wives eagerly waited that afternoon. They were hoping to find out if the, everything went well. And, but the afternoon passed, and the men did not call as they promised. And night came, and the women began to worry. And, and the next day, more men took another plane to fly over the camp, and they brought back the news that Jim and Nate and the friends were all dead. The Alcas came over all right, but not for church services. They came and killed them with their spears. The five missionaries all had guns in their camp, the guys that got killed, but they did not use them to fight the Indians. When the Alcas men came toward them with their spears, they did not shoot back with their guns. They knew that if they were to shoot the Indians, they, they could probably save their own lives, but then they would never be able to teach them about Jesus. So each one of them chose to let themselves to be killed and let the Alcas have another chance someday of becoming a Christian. The Alcas always remember those five strange white men who had been so kind to them and had not tried to kill them. And so a year later, when other missionaries tried to speak to the Alcas again about Jesus, this time they were ready to listen. Several of the men, had helped, uh, several of the men who had helped kill Jim and his friends that day 
with their spears were now Christians. And one of them gave this testimony at a meeting. He counted on his fingers and said, I have killed 12 people with my spear, but I did that when my heart was black. Now Jesus' blood has washed my heart clean, so I don't live like that anymore. God had changed his life. Isn't that wild? Sometimes we go through suffering so that somebody else can be saved. Those guys didn't see this side of heaven anyway, the fruit of their suffering. Through the eyes of faith, go back to that visual with Corey Tin Boom. You look at the underside. God, I don't see how this makes sense. I don't know what you're up to. It's just a tangled mess of bleh. But through the eyes of faith, today, even though it doesn't make sense, you don't feel like you see the good, you by faith say, no, in the midst of my pain and my suffering, I know God is weaving a masterpiece. And maybe someday, even though I may not see it this side of heaven, I'm going through this because there's a whole bunch of people that are going to get saved. Isn't that awesome? I'll close with this question. That's, and we're not done yet. That's just the tip of the iceberg of the Christian response about, why are you going suffering? Excuse me, Mr. Atheist. What's your answer to all that? Excuse me, evolution teacher, professor. What's your answer to evil and suffering? What hope do you give people? Excuse me, those of you involved in Eastern mysticism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christian science, who think that evil is just an illusion, what's your response to that? And we're the ones with the problem? No, and we're not even done yet. But what a healing balm to a broken heart when we could see, even though I may not see it now, I know, I know that this pain is doing something fantastic. And when you trust God, that's when you experience the benefits of that faith. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, 
How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, 
Nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.